and welcome to Medium Salt, the podcast where we dissect films and popular culture with a modern-day scalpel. Today, we're doing a light salt episode, which is a segment in which we talk about a topic instead of a film, and hopefully shorter so we can give you back most of your day. Um, Our topic today is the male gaze. I'm one of your hosts, Kate, and I'm joined by my good friend, Matt. How's it going, Matt? Good. Very good. The longer you make the word, the less true it is. Good. (laughs) Did you say male gaze? I researched male gauze. Oh, yeah? Is there a lot to learn about male gauze? No, I don't think they have gendered gauze. I mean, they have gendered pens. Why wouldn't they have gendered gauze? I know. I want blue (laughs) gauze. God damn it. Not that sissy white shit. Have you ever seen the uh like the Bic for women ads and the mm. pens themselves and stuff? Like, oh, my girly hands just can't support mm. the weight of a male pen. So heavy. Yes. I've got dainty <laughs> fingers. I need a dainty pan. I mean, don't get me wrong. I will absolutely buy a pink pen because it's pink. But also, men can write with pink pens too. So And how. And how. So... <laughs> Uh, the male gaze. It's interesting because I was researching this article and before this point, at least from an intellectual perspective, I had never, the male gaze is always sort of, sort of like one of those words you read in a book that you don't really know the definition of, but you can use in a sentence. You know what I mean? But it was that for a concept. Mm. So like I had never broken it down into its smallest parts or like penned it down in a, in a really concrete way. Um, but you yeah. studied film. So I'm sure you studied this in school, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. I wrote essays about it and everything like it's, it's a very important concept because it has a lot of like broader implications for the audience and for yeah. us, like how, how the media is consumed. Um, yeah. It's super interesting stuff and good to be aware of when consuming media. The male gaze also strikes me as kind of a chicken and the egg problem Mm, because first off, it's been around since the beginning of time, practically, right? right? As soon as soon as we started creating artistic depictions of anything, we started creating sexualized artistic depictions of women. Mm -hmm. Um, And also it continues to propagate itself by the very nature of its existence. So yeah. Yeah. But anyway, um, banter, banter, banter. What have you been mm-hmm. up to this week? Have you been consuming anything fun? Oh, man. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so. Uh, I, oh, I watched, well, I, I, I watched uh, Boba Fett, the series, the book oh, of Boba no. Fett. And I've got a lot of opinions on that, which I don't want to bore you with because I know you don't care. <laughs> <laughs> I care because you care. But that's one of the lowest levels of caring. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've definitely toyed with the idea of just like recording an episode that's just me ranting and then like using a clip of you at the beginning. That's just like. You absolutely should. I'm. Because <laughs> like, honestly, that would be the result anyway. If you and I talked about Star Wars, <laughs> I, would just, I would go I on and you would not get a word in edgewise because I'm like, you know, stupid about um, it. I will just record myself saying, hmm, or that's interesting. And you can just that's, punctuate yeah. your video with I was it. actually thinking about asking you. I'm like, hey, I've got this idea, so you don't have to worry about it. Like, literally, I was going to be like, hey, Kate, how are you? Wait for you to, like, start saying it. I'm like, we're going to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> it's fucking I, Star Wars, guys. <laughs> we should absolutely talk about Star Wars so we can start getting hate mail because dun, dun, dun. I don't like Star Wars. So That's okay. Most Star Wars fans don't like Star Wars either. Uh, yeah. But I don't <laughs> I don't like Star Wars from Nobody likes Star Wars. That's a secret, Captain. That's a secret. <laughs> it's first off, it's frequently lumped in with sci-fi, and it's not sci-fi. It's a no, space it's opera. Space at fantasy. Best. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's about it's about space wizards with laser swords. It's not right. it's and nothing I will science-y argue about to that. the death about that, even though, you know. People don't. But metachlorians, <laughs> that makes it science. Micro microorganisms makes it science. Uh, Metachlorians. Yep. They're, They're little microorganisms that talk to you about the force. Yes, obviously. It's a it's a collective hallucination, really. Um mm. 
Yeah, like, I think the world building's really cool. That's my favorite part about it. But I think mm. George Lucas sucks at writing characters. Um, And I think the Star mm. Wars franchise, since his, I guess, did they get divorced? His ex-wife now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, stopped I don't editing. Think uh, I yeah. think the quality went down because I think editing does a lot to help storytelling. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. I think any any um, filmmaker worth their salt would tell you that. <laughs> yeah, like re- reading an unedited novel and then reading the edited novel is a light and day difference, you know? Mm-hmm. And also, I just think its depiction of women sucks. So, yeah. There you have it. Women I and think minorities. Yeah. So. yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot there that we could talk about, but we're here to talk about. The Not male that. gaze. Yeah, like you got to be so, careful with Star Wars and me, right? You got to be real careful because I will go on. <laughs> I will go on and on. I mean, there is male gaze in Star Wars. We could talk about I that. I know. Princess Leia. Like that could be a whole episode, just the male gaze in Star Wars. Or the fact that they make every alien species that has females have human sexual proportions will mm. always bother me. Star Trek has Mike, this problem, too. Well, like, what a surprise. What about Jawas? You also... Well... They the jo- just, like the, maybe it's just all the ones on screen are male and like they keep the females so, somewhere because they they've got female right um they just got giant humans. boobs on them just little jowls <laughs> like giant maybe it's sort of like one of those things like the the ginkgo trees so ginkgo mm. biloba trees only the females are ever uh maybe yeah only the females are ever planted anywhere because the males are really smelly and messy and so mm. it's actually really difficult to uh propagate ginkgo trees because most of them are the wrong sex of a tree but anyway mm. i digress so <laughs> um yeah that will always bother me but we can talk about that differently like how we how we make aliens that, that is cool. actually that would be a good episode on its own just why just why do all the aliens got the booba yeah why do all the aliens look like humans but blue less <laughs> <laughs> It's also interesting because humans are the only primate on Earth that maintain breast tissue outside of lactation. Mm-hmm. Every other primate does not have breasts. Mm. So even on our own planet, we're rare and weird. And we're still yeah. adding boobs to aliens everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. There's a lot of reasons for that, though. And that could be really interesting to talk about. One, because we're weird, horny jail bastards. And Male two, gaze. budget. Right, you got to make an alien, but you can only dress up your dog in, a, in an <laughs> alien outfit so many yes. times, you know. And yet, I prefer that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Thanks, Star Trek. Thanks, Gene. Yeah, I did a. I have a series of presentations that I'm giving at work about formal logic, and I'm making them all the original Star Trek themed. So the first one was all Spock, and the second mm. one was the Trouble with Tribbles, and I love it. Because if you're going to talk about formal logic, you have to make it interesting somehow. So, Yeah. <laughs> you were saying? I heard formal logic and then... Did I just buzz away? Yeah. That'll be my rant to the screen and then I can record you saying, hmm, interesting. So, Kate, what is the male gaze? Thank you for bringing me back to uh, <laughs> the topic, Matt. Okay. Before we identify what the male gaze is, we have to talk about what gaze is, period. Because when we're talking about gaze, we're not talking about, I'm just looking at something in a sort of passive way, right? It's not just, basically, this is a deeper understanding of what to look at and to be looked at means. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it basically, gaze signifies a psychological representation of power, so the gazer has the power and is the active participant in the gazee, as it were, or the object of the gaze is the inferior object, right? They have less autonomy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so they have, they have no control over your gaze, right? So like, yeah, you have like if someone's looking at interaction. you, yeah. right. Uh, which is really interesting. So the, the way that gaze as a thing first came about is that it, um, started with something called the mirror stage study. It was first, uh, basically the mirror gaze study is when a child encounters a mirror and they learn that they have an external appearance. This is where the child supposedly begins to enter their own culture and start participating in the world. 
because before this point, they just gaze out at the world, mm-hmm. which I thought was kind of fascinating and something I'd never really considered, right? Like, you don't really know what you look like until you've kind of seen yourself. And I don't, like, I, I wonder historically how this has been a thing, right? Like, maybe, I mean, of course, there are reflective surfaces and water and stuff, but I don't think, like, mirrors haven't always existed. So with the invention of more reflective surfaces, has our appearance become more important in our culture at large? I don't know. Anyway, other than I mean, that, have you, you have seen to... cavemen? Those guys are nasty. <laughs> I never have. I haven't had the pleasure. Um, but anyway, so this, this concept of the gaze can be applied a multitude of ways. There's the medical gaze, surveillance gaze, male gaze, female gaze, objectifying gaze, imperial gaze, white gaze, basically any sort of relationship where there's a power dynamic, there exists within it this concept of having a gaze. Mm. I am starting to say the word gaze so much that I'm forgetting how to spell it. That's definitely happening to me. Um, <laughs> but today we're going to be talking about the male gaze because it is the one that I've heard most referenced. Yeah. In it's, it's been to, extremely formative for f- the film medium, uh, many other mediums, but the film medium in particular, because it's right. so visual. It is, yes. And what's interesting is the male gaze doesn't just apply to film. It's been around for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So the concept of the male gaze, I've read two different things. Some people credit Laura Mulvaney for it in 1975, and other people credit the English art critic John Berger uh, who did a series of films for the BBC called Ways of Seeing in 1972. Mm. Uh, I find it interesting that some people credit the woman for coining the term male gaze and some people credit the man, but I'm just going to credit both because I'm sure, much like the light bulb, multiple people can invent something right. that happens at the same time. Or calculus and only one or person the will get the credit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, and so it's interesting because... The male gaze was has been applied to art throughout the ages. And one of the examples that I found that really struck me as interesting, mainly because it actually referenced an artist that I was kind of obsessed with for a couple of years. Uh, she's an artist from the 1600s who uh, did beautiful, beautiful oil paintings. And her name's Artemisia Gentileschi. She was the daughter of a painter and the wife of a painter. And that was back when women did not become artists, right? That was not a thing. And so she offers a really interesting perspective, especially for the time about art and representation. So she has one of her first printed and dated works of art is a painting about Susanna and the elders. Do you know the story of Susanna and the elders from the Bible? No, actually. I will. I I didn't know it until today either, but I'm going to give it just a very brief overview so you understand how creepy it is. So <laughs> Susanna was a, a married Jewish woman, and these two old men came to stay with her and her husband. I'm very, very heavily paraphrasing, as does the mm-hmm. Bible anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, so these two old guys are staying with her and her husband, and Susanna likes to go out into the garden to bathe every day. And so she goes out into her garden, which is generally private since she does it every day. And the two men follow her and make an agreement that they're going to have their way with her, essentially. And so this is a really commonly depicted scene and works of art for whatever reason back in this time. And it's interesting because almost every depiction of it shows Susanna being leered at by these men or Susanna being touched by these men. And in fact, I'll send you links because I want your, I want your reaction to this. I'm going to show you the one that was painted by men. Okie dokie. And I would like you to describe it. Okay. Yep. Okay. So (laughs) Susanna is very passive in this photo and the men are definitely acting upon her. Um, One's groping her. The other one's leering lecherously. Does she look uh, perturbed? What is her face? No, saying? no. Very passive, like very neutral. Yeah. Like I'm grocery shopping or I'm checking yeah. the mail or whatever. Right. So. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, this is painted by Tintoretto, which is uh he actually has done several paintings of Susanna and the elders. 
Uh, this is the one, I mean, they're all, all of them. In all of his paintings, she looks really passive and not really concerned. Mm-hmm. Um, like, this dude's literally groping her breast, and she's just like, eh, another day at the office. So, in contrast, let me show you Artemisia's demonstration of Susanna and the Elders, or uh, representation of Susanna and the Elders. Up, oh, that's the wrong one. <laughs> it's the same, same one again. Oh, look at Brilliant. it. Brilliant. Oh. What a commentary. <laughs> I was just fooling you. All right. All right, buddy. Give me the link. Very nice. This one's just a better painting. It is um, also just a better painting, but that's yeah, not like here nor the there. The <laughs> lighting is fantastic. I mean, it could be just era thing, right? You should um, absolutely check out Artemisia's work. She is yeah. a really interesting person and also just a wonderful artist. Yeah. What's interesting is, yeah, okay. So this one looks almost like a direct response to the other, like in terms of think, po- right? like posing and how it's all set up. Um, mm-hmm. But she is like very clearly rejecting and, and turning away from the men who are over her and above her, um, mm. framing-wise. And they are clearly ignoring her while they whisper with each other. They are unconcerned about her at all. They are concerned with themselves. Right. And she also right? just like she looks so visibly distressed to me. Oh, yeah. She her looks, face. like, disgusted. Yeah. Her face is agony. She's literally holding her hands up against them, and her whole body is contorted to be away from them. Her her face is as far as she can get it away from them. She, and, her, the body, her body's also not idealized; like it's very human. Yeah, it's like she's it's got, got she's like uh, like redness in the skin in places, mm-hmm. which like would be considered like not smooth and fair, right? So, mm-hmm. like in the other painting, everything is like a the uniform pale. Um, a lot of yeah. definition from the lighting. And then the men are... Hmm. There's a lot there that I'm not qualified to talk about because I know nothing about them. <laughs> but but like, I, I know enough least, to know that there's stuff there. Yeah, at the very least, we know it's more complicated, right? Mm-hmm. It's a more complicated and I think more realistic depiction of how the scene might have actually looked the story goes on to to be that the men because she rebuffed them accuse her of adultery with a younger man not them of course uh because they are you know elders or whatever they're i think they're both judges in the story but anyway so they accuse her of adultery and she's about to be put to death because that's a capital punishment Mm. and then daniel uh later to be the prophet daniel is called upon by God to defend her and actually cross-examines the men. And one of them says the wrong tree <laughs> in his interview or something. And so she gets off. But Man, of course, good thing the story God was like, there to save her. Yeah. Of course, the story is like she was saved by a man. But anyway. So this is one of the early, like this was from the 1600s. Actually, the Tintoretto one was in the 1500s. And Artemisia, uh, Artemisia's painting was in 1610. But that was, oh, I don't know, 410 years ago, you know? Yeah. And it was still a thing because yeah. the male gaze is essentially this idea that we are – everything that we are seeing in media for the most part is mm-hmm. told from a heterosexual male perspective, Right? You could even yep. go as far as to say a white heterosexual male perspective because they're kind yes. of. Yeah. And certainly um, for Western canon. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so it's this idea that women are, even women consuming media created this way are participating in the male gaze because we are seeing the world and women and relationships from this view of what yeah. a heterosexual man sees them as. And this. Mm. It's a complicated problem. <laughs> it is. It uh, is. Because like on the one hand, like it, it, like you were saying, chicken or egg, right? Like the, the media for the long – and especially now is such a like male-dominated industry, male-dominated mm-hmm. art form. Like regardless of whether it's intentional or not, the gaze of that art is going to be male because it's made by a male. Um, mm-hmm. And it's not necessarily – like unless they're consciously trying to – use a different perspective like whatever their worldview is framed by their identity right 
So their mm-hmm. art is going to be framed by that identity as well. Right. You can't you can't represent uh perspectives that you haven't even thought of, right? Let right. alone lived in. Uh I'm going to read to you from one of my favorite subreddits because this isn't just in film. The male gaze, even though it says gaze, like looking at, can also be in written mm-hmm. media and video games and everywhere, right? So this is a quote by an author who purports to be uh, living proof that it's possible for a male author to write an authentic female protagonist. So everybody buckle up. Oh, God. Here's a quote from the, one of the first pages of his books. I sauntered over, certain he noticed me. I'm hard to miss, I'd like to think. A little tall, but not too tall. A nice set of curves, if I do say so myself. Pants so impossibly tight that if I had had a credit card in my back pocket, you could read the expiration date. The rest of my outfit wasn't that remarkable, just a few old things I had lying around. You know how it is. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. You failed at your uh, your quest there, buddy. Because Wait, everything- is that not how your internal monologue is going all the time? <laughs> If your pants are that tight, get new pants, number one. Number two, don't keep your credit card in your back pocket, especially if your pants are that tight. You'll wipe off the magnetic strip. Number three, all of this is about how she looks. Right. And she's self-describing, right? She's not in her own head. I also argue that. And not a mention of hot topic to be found. (laughs) Exactly. Um, There's another aspect of this, which is. The idea that some women play into the male gaze and some reject it, right? Mm-hmm. And so even if you – it's sort of a right hand of the devil thing in my mind, right? Like there are definitely women who use this to their own benefit because we're all part of the system that we're born into, right? And so mm-hmm. – You by, take power, you can get it. Yeah, by forming yourself and conforming to this male gaze and trying to have these ideals – that you know are valued or that you think are valued because of the media and the society that you live in and consume. Um, This could be an example of that, but I don't think so. I think this is just Mm. an example of a man thinking that this is how women think. And I don't like nothing, nothing about this is good. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, particularly since it's written in first person perspective. Yeah. Like Like, if it was a man objectifying her, that would still suck, but she's objectifying herself. So, yeah, it's it's definitely odd. Hmm. Yeah, it's God, difficult. I, men writing women as a subreddit and a Twitter. And it's, oh, it's a Twitter too. Yeah, oh. it's a uh, it's a thing. And this is yeah. not to say that no man can write women, but they're right, yeah, no. like I have a newsflash for you: women are just people. We right. have bodily functions that Wait, sometimes hold on. betray what? us. <laughs> When I start to feel like, oh, no, this celebrity so-and-so is so impossibly perfect, I just imagine them eating really bad Thai food and having horrible diarrhea for 10 hours. So. (laughs) And all of a sudden, I'm like, yes, we are all people on this mortal coil who uh, suffer, you know? (laughs) So, um, yeah, this kind of sets us up for this discussion around male gaze. And so when we're talking about male gaze specifically in film, there are three perspectives we have to consider. The first is that the first gaze we see is the camera capturing the events of the film. The second Mm -hmm. is the audience viewing the film. And the third is actually the social interactions in the story. Mm -hmm. And so when we are evaluating a film for male gaze, there are a couple of different questions we can ask ourselves. And they are really illuminating. Um, basically, the first one and possibly the most obvious one is who's doing the looking in the film and who's being looked at. Yeah, it's almost always women. Um, and you'll the the more overt versions of this are like obviously women in bikinis or women in fighting games that have no armor or <laughs> things like that. Right, like. Large-breasted women, specifically, we all know, put there for being looked at. Uh, Megan Fox in the Transformer movies, you know? like mm-hmm. she's Lindsay Ellis has an amazing video on that. Oh, we should link that in the... Yeah, in the, no, uh, Lindsay Ellis's video on the male gaze in Transformers, specifically with Megan Fox, and it's fucking amazing. Sounds awesome. I need to go watch any of her videos. <laughs> yeah. I still haven't done it. 
Um, oh, they're great. Yeah, when you when you look at a movie, pay attention to how the camera looks at the women, who in the movie is looking at the women, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. The second question we can ask ourselves is is the is the woman's body part that is on mm-hmm. film connected to her head right. basically if you see a movie and you will almost never see a man's uh body disjointed and if you do it's usually you see his head and his shoulders but if you see a movie and a woman's body is disjointed, it'll be things like panning up from the floor so you can see her whole body or only showing specific body parts, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera, without right. her head. So a man right. having his head, he's the important character. Mm-hmm. Um, because, well, woman, also like, yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, uh, no, no. Finish, uh, finish your sentence. Oh, and the woman is just able to be disjointed, right? The, yeah. the woman is just a, a sum of her parts. Yeah. She's not greater than that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is also like on on top of like the the effect of this gaze. I think it's also like when you think of how this this gaze is uh, like originated. Like it's it's because it's like a man how a man looks at whatever. Like the whole from the floor up, it, it, it's very like akin to like the old like you know up down gaze like that a a, a man might um, look at a a, a potential you know mate. Right. Right. Like you take in the whole body and you, you down and up, supposedly. I don't know. I've been with the same woman for 16 years today. So, um, <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. Like, I don't think I've ever looked at a man that way. Yeah. I've never. And a dude doesn't look at another dude that way unless they're, the well, floor. if they're yeah. heterosexual, heteronormative, whatever. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, I've also never looked at a woman that way. Like, I just. Mm. It's not that physical attraction and sexual attraction isn't important. It's just not everything. Right. It's not every. So, so by disjointing women in this way, like, for example, you know, it, it pervades popular culture. There are leg men and ass men mm. and boob men, right? There are not really leg women or ass mm. women, right? It's just like yeah. that guy is nice or attractive or that guy probably won't hit me, you know? Mm. Right. Um, yeah. There's boob men and leg men, but no lady. Well, there's lady men, but that's something different. <laughs> also, like, where are all the brain men? Who wants a sexy brain? Mm. Come on. Um, <clears throat> and so this this percolates into our culture, and it causes a lot of issues for women, right? Women who are mm-hmm. existing in this really toxic space. Mm-hmm. Where... And, and, and consuming this media and, and having yeah. been forced to confront this gaze and, and, like, objectify themselves through it. Right. Like a, like, a woman know. isn't a person. They're a collection of parts. When you look at a woman this way. And those parts need to look good. You know, yeah. they have to look a specific way. And usually it's the white way because we haven't even started talking about how male gaze is largely applied to white women. And mm. even at least sometimes white women have personalities or parts in the story. But if you're a black woman, fucking forget it. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're even showed in the narrative at all, you're either a slave or a mystic black woman. Um, but anyway, so the male gaze. Yeah. So is the woman's body part connected to her head? Another thing is the lighting. So if you if you notice mm-hmm. the lighting that people use on women versus the lighting that people use on men, um, male characters are allowed to be human in a way that women aren't. Right. Yeah. I actually have so, direct professional experience with this. Oh yeah, please go on. Yeah, well, so when I worked in when I worked on sets, most often on a set I was working in lighting. I I was an electrician. Um which means I set up lights and dealt with the generator and laid power Super and cool. all that jazz. Yeah, it it was cool and it was fun and it's a terrible industry no one do, nobody should do it. Um but when it came to lighting men versus women, there was like you I had to know the difference. Like when, when, it, when you light a woman, it's, it's to make them more, um, softer, mm-hmm. right? You make them you use softer light. We diffuse it a shit ton. Like we no hard lights on a woman unless they're maybe a bad, a bad guy. Right. Yeah. Um, unless you want them to seem like an old crone. Right. Or ugly. Right. Mm-hmm. Like if you're trying to make a woman ugly on screen, you would probably use really harsh light from one direction, really deep shadows. To just to emphasize like every every wrinkle and pore and, and human thing. <laughs> like, you know, things just humans have. Um, 
A woman is not allowed to be a human. A woman has to be a perfect object. Mm. Yep. But when it comes to men, it's like, eh, you do whatever. It depends on the scene. If it's a soft <laughs> scene, use soft lighting. If it's a hard, like, yeah. you know, if it's a big violent scene, you want them to look masculine and rugged, you'll use hard lighting. Yeah. We noticed but it's some not interesting a rule. lighting in uh, True Lies, remember? Mm-hmm. The, even just mm-hmm. the entire color of the lighting, it was so different. Another thing that's interesting is a lot of times you'll see women lit against 2D backdrops. Right, mm. like just a flat wall or something where the woman yeah. herself does, has no context. Like it's like she doesn't right. exist. She's just yeah, she, she yeah. an object. She's not even a person. She doesn't exist in the world. She is a like she's a sexual fantasy always. Yeah. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about, even though it's a movie that I deeply love, <laughs> a sort of problematic aspect of it is the new Blade Runner movie, Blade Runner 2049. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is female gazed to the nines. And the thing about it is, so the main female character in this movie is not a human and doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. She's a, uh, a hologram that Ryan Gosling character rang. Like basically anyone can buy her. Her name is yeah, joy yeah. and she's a, she she's a holographic. Her. Yeah. A holographic companion and she can be anyone you want her to be and look any mm-hmm. way you want her to look. And so mm-hmm. you frequently see her just being completely objectified. Yes. And like a lot of people will say, well, that's the point, right? It's a commentary mm-hmm. on the male gaze and sexual objectification. And I'm like, all right, you know, we all know it's a thing. We don't really need more commentary on it. We need to fix it. Right. Like, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those lines. I don't know, where it's with like, that one specifically. I like it. Yeah. I really liked the movie. But yeah. I kind of think that there is some credence to give to that idea because yeah. even in the production of other humans, they're producing nothing but perfect women, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. You know, like he, uh, the megalomaniac, I forgot his name in the movie, who's producing all of these um, androids, yeah. is producing a bunch of like they're they're little literally robots. They don't need to look like anything in particular, but all mm-hmm. of them look like perfect by societal standards and or whatever contemporary whatever's uh perfect women right and mm-hmm. so i just think it's really interesting that supposedly even deep into the future we're going to be struggling with these issues because the only other female characters i mean his captain who's also kind of a mm-hmm. bad guy who he kills eventually is a woman and then there's a bunch of prostitutes yeah and that's it in that movie yeah so i think i think there's definitely some criticism to be had there um, mm-hmm. I would, I would argue that like, like the whole joy situation, I think, um, like I would argue that, yeah, it was, it was purposely done and it's not so much just a commentary on the objectification on women, but more of like, it tries to give like context and dialogue to it. Mm-hmm. Right. And also generate, like, I don't want to say generate debate or generate conversation, but I think that's exactly Maybe not exactly, but it's kind of what it does, right? Like you're sitting there and and the question is even raised in the movie is like, if she's fake, was that relationship ever real? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, our main character has to struggle with that too, because he's also struggling with his own, like, is he even real? Right. Um, but also, Which, at the, like, and it didn't exactly, like, there were a couple scenes that definitely reveled in that imagery. Mm-hmm. Which you could, I think, yeah, could definitely she, take some she has criticism. holographics that are like at, at some yeah. point she's like thirty stories tall, right? And she's yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Um, but if yeah. you look at sexuality as part of the human experience, I do th- like I th- like, and, and of course, sci-fi is always not about the problems we're going to have in the future. It's about the problems we have right now, right? Uh, so the the question I pose to you then is the fact that he is an android, yeah. And the fact that he is still made to, he he was programmed with the male gaze, essentially, yeah, right? He was programmed right. to have these ideas, like they're, they're so everywhere, right? He wasn't just programmed to be a detective or programmed to be smart mm. or programmed to have, be sexually attracted to vacuum cleaners, you know? Right, <laughs> he was yeah. programmed to, to, to be this way. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's programmed to as be if it's human. De- as, if, as if it's the default, which is the problem, right? right? Oh, really? Okay. So I, I don't look at it as, as default. I, I feel like he was programmed to be human and sexuality being a part yeah. of humanity. Like, 
it plays a role. And it wasn't just sexuality for him. Like, it was also romance. It was also right. companionship. But this would have been the perfect opportunity to show romance or sexuality pointed at anything else. And instead, they decided to go with, you know, like, we don't even actually mm. see any other holograms offered. Like, there are no male holograms mm-hmm. for women. You know, right? Like yeah, just that's true. Joy all the time. There's no John, yeah. or whatever. Right? Yeah, that's <laughs> but anyway, fair. yeah. So it, it 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 poses a really interesting question about what parts of ourselves are embedded and can't be changed. What parts of ourselves are largely just symptoms of a larger picture that we're kind of born into. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I thought that was really interesting. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about is. Attempts to subvert the male gaze by still just doing the male gaze. <laughs> just doing male gaze, but different but, this but, time. But, but for women, no, yeah. No, the male gaze, but for women, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Male gaze for her. Yeah, so a lot of times you'll see women being represented in powerful roles, mm-hmm. also still being objects. Mm-hmm. And I'm really sorry to do this, and we might argue about it, but Joss Whedon mm-hmm. is a really good example of this. Joss Whedon falls into the kick-ass but still beautiful yeah. and objectified women thing to a T, right? No, I agree with that 100%. We're not going to fight yeah. about that. I, like, Joss Whedon's it, creep, it's, so it makes sense. <laughs> it's so prevalent that like some people call it Jossing. Because, nah. you know, like he has a, he has Buffy the Vampire Slayer who, you know, mm-hmm. it's a great coming of age story. I enjoyed watching it. It does not age super well, but she's a vampire slayer and super cool and competent. But she also, first and foremost, is pretty much always her sexuality for the most part. Mm. I mean, see, she has she has more story than that. But all of Joss's characters that are strong female women also fit into a physical stereotype. Yeah, absolutely. Still, yeah, they're still created for the consumption of mm. men to be able to consume yeah. their action heroes along with yeah, their, yeah. their women, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's like they're an action hero too, not a woman too. Not, yeah. yeah. Uh, you look at the way a, Whedon framed uh, a Black Widow in the first Avengers yeah. film, right? Mm-hmm. For sure. Not not to mention the weird scene where the Hulk hulks out and starts like going after her. It just felt a little weird. I don't know. <laughs> oh yeah, I didn't even think about that. Um, so Caroline Heldman actually coined a name for this character trope, which is the fighting fuck toy. Ah. So isn't that great? Yeah, like Brilliant. so the fighting fuck Love toy it. appears empowered, but her very existence serves the pleasure of the heterosexual male viewer. She takes female agency, weds it to normalized male violence, and appropriates it for the male gaze. And yeah, femme fatale, the whole mm-hmm. the whole genre, essentially, yep. right? Like she's yep. a female assassin and she's mm-hmm. whatever, whatever. An actual female assassin would probably look like someone who works at the post office, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just face Because the point the is that you, you wouldn't notice an assassin, right? Yeah. Like, like who's not going to notice? Like a seven foot tall, beautifully stacked woman in a red dress who also just shot a man. Right. Right, Yeah. Like, come on. Yeah. And so, I mean, I have the same, I have the same complaint about male super or secret agents, but yeah. So making a, making a female character empowered is not as simple as just putting them in a role that would normally be filled by a man. That mm-hmm. is not. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you're still, you're still. And that, that's a mistake her. I definitely would have made as a, as a younger media creator. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's tempting, right? Especially because you, you have that perspective. Well, I just, I was fucking young and I didn't know anything. Right. Like I, I was yeah. formed by the media I consumed. So. Yeah. And I mean, I like, don't get me wrong. I love a good femme fatale. I'm right there for it. And oh, I know yeah. maybe that's not great, right? Like, I enjoy seeing women being kick ass. Like, some of my yeah. favorite films are the new Charlize Theron movies where she's an action hero. Um, but I would argue so, like, in Mad Max Fury Road, she's not sexualized. 
She's just no. kind of a badass. Like, and if anything, yeah. her head is shaved. She's missing some of her limbs. She's dirty mm-hmm. the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, like, it's definitely like a commentary on on women's portrayal for sure. Right. Especially since she's contrasted directly with the, with the slaves brides. that she's with. Yeah, with the brides that she's rescuing. Yeah, who are also individual characters. Like, I, we could do a whole thing on Fury. Right? Yeah, oh, yeah, maybe we should yeah. because I love that movie. Yeah. Uh, I oh, I read a headline on an article about Fury Road that almost made me like freak out. Oh, it turns what out was it was just clickbait. Oh, oh it was something like apparently Shirley Theron and, and Tom Hardy got into it on set one day, and the headline because like making a movie is stressful and people fight. yeah that happens right. The um, creative process is stressful. Yeah, um, and I don't remember the whole of it. So like definitely like the thing is like I really like Tom Hardy's performances and fucking everything. Like, oh, I yeah, find him great. so entertaining to watch mm-hmm. um, as a performer. He barely and talks th- in Fury Road, which is so cool. Yeah. And I, and I find that, like, and, and he can really shine with the right direction. So I, I read the headline that was like, fucking Tom, like, Charlize Theron calls out Tom Hardy from the set of Fury Road. I was like, oh, no, don't tell me Tom Hardy's a fucking jackass. Yeah. Oh. Please don't be a jackass. And it was like, right. you know, Tom Please Hardy might have been a jackass there. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> he might have <laughs> been a jackass there. But I, I, I read the article, and I, if I seem to remember walking away going like, okay, yeah, that, that was a shitty interaction. And I'm sure yeah, both. we had a both, small I'm argument. sure both people yeah. have grown from it. Um, yeah. I don't remember if it got physical or not based on the article. Um. I, I share your be fear, though, with, like, people that I really admire. Anytime someone mentions them to me, like, hey, did you yeah. hear the news about Tom Hanks? I'm like, what? Don't tell me. <laughs> yeah, don't fucking. I mean, there, I have there to actually know, but also some never stuff tell with Tom me. Hanks. That, yeah, what? there's actually some stuff with Tom Hanks. But, like, Tom Hanks is, as it has to do with his brother. Oh, no. Um, so it's not so much that Tom Hanks is a bad guy. It's like his brother is a, shit, is a shithead, and Tom Hanks kind of protects him because... Oh. Family. Yeah. Well, that's complicated. At least Tom Hanks didn't pull a Kevin Bacon. Yeah. Or Kevin Spacey. Sorry. I don't know if Kevin Bacon's still okay. Crab and bark. Anyway, we got like two <laughs> minutes. Male okay. gaze. <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to talk about, uh, we could talk about this all day probably, but one of the things, I think I might have mentioned it in another episode, is the portrayal of Harley Quinn in two different movies that she's been in. The one that Margot Robbie directs and the one that Margot Robbie just stores, starred in. Oh my gosh, so that could be it, like a YouTube video, you know? Just right? Fucking, I'm sure it probably is. Already, yeah, someone's probably already you, done it. <laughs> if you watch The Suicide Squad and you look at Margot Robbie's depictions and her wardrobe design and how she's shown, it is clear that a man made those choices. She's in a very sexualized outfit mm-hmm. uh, with like a she cut-off strips in t-shirt. front of a bunch of men. Yeah, it's just the whole thing is just oh, like I oh, it's it's really uncomfortable. Um, it's clear that she is the object. She has no autonomy. She has no agency. She is literally just there to be consumed. Contrast that with her and Birds of Prey, which Margot Robbie directed. She is still adorable like she's still very attractive she's margot robbie right yeah margot robbie paper bag yeah Uh, but she designs her own outfits and so the outfits that she's wearing still skin and etc etc but there's a fundamental difference like they're fun they actually look like outfits someone would design for themselves you can tell she enjoys it. There's lots of color. She does her hair differently. She looks like a human being and mm. she has agency because we're not saying when we're talking about the male gaze that women need to walk around, you know, dressed in paper bags. We're saying that women have agency and autonomy and should be able to represent themselves the way that they want without having to worry about whether mm. they are uh, ascribing to this weird ideal about uh, fitting the male gaze and being the right sexual object. So, yeah. and also, um, I think uh, on top of that, I think being a an informed consumer of media and being like a, mm-hmm. a intelligent watcher of films, like you have to keep in like it's not just that, like it's not just that like male gaze bad, right? It's just mm-hmm. like you have to keep in mind when you're watching a piece of media, they're framing the reality you're consuming. Th- so obvious, like, first of all, never take any media as gospel. And second of all, keep in mind the perspective that is, that media is coming from. 
And that's going to shape right. the world that it presents, the arguments it presents to you as like, because even fiction is about truth, right? Right. Like, ultimately. The whole, oh, it's just a story, as if every right. story doesn't sort of ingrain itself into our minds and subtly mm-hmm. shift our perspectives. Right. Like you have, the reason you have an emotional response to fiction is because it has kernels of truth in it that rings true to you. That's how you empathize mm-hmm. with the piece at all. So when you see a piece and it's, you know, clearly made with the male point of view in mind, um, it's important to keep, like, it's important to think of that when you are analyzing the film, when you're taking it apart, when you're trying to figure out what makes it tick and what makes it ring for you. Yeah. In some ways, the really overt, clearly male-centric movies are less dangerous than just the the normal ones where everything's a little bit more subtle, right? Like if you're watching Mm -hmm. a movie about bikini babes on the beach, you know who that movie is made for. But if you're watching, you know, like a Transformer movie or just a Mm -hmm. general blockbuster movie. Or anything on primetime television. Yeah, and you watch and see how women are treated or represented or lit or, you know, mm-hmm. you can be like, oh, yeah, it's it can be really subtle, the the disenfranchisement and the, you know, stealing of autonomy. I have one more point, which I think is really mm-hmm. interesting. So while I was researching this, this actually uh, this actually sort of echoes my real life experiences. I came across this thing talking about uh, trans women and their experience with the male gaze because – basically fitting into the male gaze and being the object of the male gaze is actually affirming because they're trying to, to embody the gender that, you know, the the female gender. And so having that be a thing that they experience is gender affirming. And it's interesting because I've been friends with several people both before and after transitions. And I've definitely had this weird internal struggle when they transition because I can every, every time it seems like to me anyway, there there's this um, very, very strong pull towards traditional femininity as represented by the media, right? Like you have to always shave, you have to wear makeup. You, there, there are these things that women do that you have to do. Right. And so in trying to, that that's difficult for me because the part of the journey mm. that I'm on being a feminist and, you know, working to love myself and accept myself the way I am is, you know, sometimes I won't shave for mm-hmm. months, right. Or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult to be like, yes, I am still a woman. I am still beautiful. I am still all of the things that I want to be mm-hmm. while also juxtaposing that against someone else's journey where they're trying really hard to like lean into that idealism because they yeah. want so badly to have attained that and follow those rules. And so I yeah. thought that that was a really interesting perspective about the male gaze and a group That is such of, a complicated topic right? too, right? Yeah. Like I uh, I know ContraPoints has covered it a few times. I don't know if she's kind of a controversial figure in that in that space. Um, I like her videos. I think I think she's very entertaining and she helps uh, her her content definitely helped me grok a lot of a lot of things that I didn't get as a younger stupider man, um, <laughs> and she she actually talks about that too um, about like interesting the role of traditional femininity with like her experience as a trans woman. It's it's uh, it's hard. It's, like sometimes it's, it's really hard for me it's because so it feels like a rejection of my journey. When someone's yeah. like, yes, I have to look a certain way. I don't like body hair. I don't like yeah. whatever. And I'm like, okay. But I mean, gender is just a fucking tar pit anyway. So, right. Yeah. It's, it's uh, all a mess. So. Yeah. It's difficult, to, it's difficult to live in. It's difficult to talk about. It's difficult to understand. Um, so, yeah, I can, I can understand why. I absolutely understand why you know, people want to lean into that. They don't want to be misgendered. And so like, if someone calls me a man, it's not nearly like, it doesn't offend me. It's more like a curiosity, but someone who is transitioning, being misgendered is deeply traumatic. Like it can Mm -hmm. be really, really, really upsetting. And so doing anything that you can to avoid that happening up to and including dressing in a very high femme way 
or wearing mm-hmm. lots of makeup or whatever, I can understand that. You know, it's a self-protective thing. I wish that they didn't have to do that in order to be, you know, the women that they want to be. And also there's nothing yeah. wrong with wanting to be high femme. It's just mm-hmm. feeling like you have to be is the problem. Like who doesn't love dressing yeah. up sometimes? I absolutely do. So anyway, I just thought it was super interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to talk about? Or a little uh, over time? No. Yeah, we are yeah, about five minutes over time. Um, it's not bad for us. Yeah, it really isn't. <laughs> no, I, I think I'm good. I think male gaze is, is one of those like really cool topics that I think we could like you could pick apart. You could pick a movie, pick it apart with male gaze in mind. Like just like anything else that we talk about on Light Salt, it's like we go real surface level because there's it's a deep, deep ocean. Yeah. It um, is so deep and in fact while i was looking at topics for potential lights all episodes every one of our topics that we have listed is like oh my god this could be a documentary that's eight hours long yeah (laughs) so quick let's condense that into 30 seconds i mean some of them are just like this is an entire university course you know (laughs) like let us talk to you about it for 30 minutes and probably fuck it up um yeah but yeah so gaze is important and it creates power power dynamics that can be really uh, detrimental. But also, at mm-hmm. some point, I would like to talk about rejections or criticisms of the male gaze mm-hmm. as a concept, because I think that's just as interesting. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, uh, thank you for joining us today. If you liked what you heard, you can find more at mediumsalt.com or wherever your favorite podcasts are host. Like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, uh, Googly, Pocket Cast, wherever. You can drop us a line, join our Discord channel, send us an email, uh, recommend different movies or things you'd like to hear from. We would love to hear from you, and we couldn't do this without you. And as always, Matt, stay salty. Stay salty.